if you will, that you are living in dangerous and uncertain times. Really not that hard, right? But the majority of the world in which you're living worships pagan gods, especially one goddess that's called Diana or Artemis. And this pagan god has a temple that's not too far from you, that's sort of just right down the, down the road from you, from where you grew up. And this temple, it promotes uh, temple prostitutes. It promotes sexual perversions of all sorts and manner. And the sale of the statues, the sale of all the paraphernalia that, that's connected with this temple worship of this goddess Diana or Artemis, it's just such a big part of the economy and part of the culture in which you grew up as part of. And this temple and everything that it stands for really doesn't offer you any hope. It doesn't answer, uh, doesn't offer any answers. The alternative to that temple is worldly philosophies that only oppose uh, propose additional uh, questions, no answers. The other alternative is an ancient religion that promotes the one true God, really does promote the one true God, all-powerful, the one who created all. But see, you're not Jewish, therefore you can't have him. He's ours. You can't have him. Now, the truth of the matter is, is this true and living God desired that his people become the nation of priests, that they be the light unto the Gentiles, that they be the ones who shared the truth of who Jehovah is. But instead, they call the Gentiles dogs. And according to Ephesians 2, as a Gentile, you were alienated. You were without hope in the world. Pretty frightening. Pretty insecure, isn't it? Very discouraging. But then, but then you hear the truth. Your heart is stirred when you hear the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you respond to that good news that there is a, this true and living God who created you. He loves you. And by his mercy, he offers salvation. He desires to have a relationship with you based on his love, based on his mercy, based on his grace, based on his finished work on Calvary's cross as he took your place. You thirst. You hunger for more information about who this true and living Savior is. You desire to have a deeper understanding of who He is and your standing in Him. And here comes this inspired letter from a man who once severely persecuted those people who believed that, this, that Christ was the Messiah. They... He, this man, he now vigorously serves this risen Savior. And as a matter of fact, he is called the apostle to you Gentiles. And this letter delves deep, deep into the glorious truths of your standing in this true and living God who truly loves you. As a matter of fact, this letter that he sends to your church, your local assembly, talks about how rooted you are in Christ, how alive you are in Christ, how hidden you are in Christ, how complete you are in Christ. Some extraordinary truths this letter delves into. So with that sitting, I want you to, I, I want you to imagine you're the ones who's receiving this letter Possibly you have been worshiping idols. 
Possibly you even visited that temple. But you knew that it was meaningless. You knew that it was dark. You knew that it was evil. You knew there was a longing in your heart to know the truth. And you receive the good news, the gospel, that this true and living God loves you. And by faith you trusted in Him. So imagine you're that individual. And with that setting, we're going to continue with our study in just such a letter. The letter to the church in Colossae as we look into the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at some meaningful truths into who you are in Christ. And this morning I invite you to to look at these words as if they were written directly to you. Because you know what? They are. They are. You are the one who's been made a new creation. You're the one that all things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you're standing before a righteous, holy God has changed completely. Isn't that thrilling to know? The wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We made it through the first chapter of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I would that ye you, you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, I think that's the, the church in Ephesus, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now, the great conflict that Paul is referring to was an unbelievable amount of suffering, an absolutely unbelievable amount of pain and torture that he endured in the fact that he took seriously his call to share the gospel, the grace of God. Hey, when Paul says, I finished, I, I, I finished my course, I fought the fight, folks, you need to understand, there was suffering, there was persecution. And that first verse of chapter 2 is going back to refer to verse 24 of the first chapter. Who now rejoice in my sufferings. Yeah, he was suffering great conflict on their behalf in order to get the gospel, the grace of God out, to make sure they heard the truth that Jesus saves. There was great conflict. There was great suffering. But verse 24 tells us that he rejoice in my sufferings for, me, for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, as we explained back then, that's not saying that there is anything lacking in the finished work of Christ on the cross. You know, your salvation is, you're complete in him. There was not something that needed to be added to the working of Christ. But there, God's word is very clear. Those that, that believe, those who serve, you're going to suffer for his sake. And that's what Paul's talking about there. Matter of fact, you want to know the kind of suffering that, that Paul was in, in, enduring uh, during that time. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 8. Paul says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distress. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, and the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body for which we live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. And we, ha we having the same spirit of faith, according it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up, also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. 
for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. That's how he felt about his suffering. That's how he felt about the cost that he had to pay in order to be this apostle to the Gentiles. If you want to get a, well, we'll just do it. Look at, go back to 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Start with verse 23. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Three times was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst and fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not, or I grieve not. If I must needs glory, I will glory the things which concern my infirmities. And the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. This man suffered for the cause of Christ. I'm going to tell you here this morning, I have absolutely no cause to complain. I have no cause to be weary. I have no cause to gripe. When you look at what he went through in order to get the gospel proclaimed, in order to share the truth that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and he rejoiced in his sufferings, and he's wanting to make sure that the people understood that he took his calling, he took his role seriously as the apostle to the Gentiles. That he understood that if one member of the body suffered, then we all suffered. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26 is, is if one member of the body suffers, that the whole all suffer. And he's making that point to this church here in Colossae. And the reason he's making that point is what he talked about in verse 29 of, of Colossians 1. Verse 29. That he's striving, he's working in order pr to present all men perfect in Christ or mature in Christ. That's what, that's what he was working toward. That was his calling. And, the, and, and God working in his life was powerful. God was using it, uh, using him. And the whole purpose was to, to make these people, these believers, mature in Christ Jesus. So he, he counted the suffering as nothing. He counted the price that he was paying as nothing compared to the price that our Savior paid in order to purchase our redemption. Boy, you talk about love. You talk about concern. You talk about a need to make sure these people understood, these believers understood the seriousness of his calling, the seriousness of the faith that he was sharing with them and the truth. Why, they couldn't help but take what he was saying seriously. I mean, a man that will suffer the way he suffered, a man that would, that would put up with the things that he was putting up with for the cause of Christ, you had to take this individual seriously. That's exactly what was, what was going on here. Colossians 2, 1 again. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. The seriousness. He sold out on their behalf. And basically what that verse is doing is say, take as credible my mission, my message to you, because it's true. It's true. And the reason he did it 
verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches. There's that word again, riches. You notice how often Paul uses that word riches in, in the book, this letter to the church in Colossae? Together unto all riches, because that's exactly the way it best describes our relationship with Christ, as rich. And when you think of riches, we talked about last week, you think about having your, you think about having your, your bank account full and all that you own and all the assets that you have. I'm telling you, there is no greater asset than to knowing that you are a new creation in Christ, that heaven is your home, that eternal life is yours, and have being rich in the abundance of that knowledge, that understanding, why earthly treasures can't compare. Earthly treasures can't begin to compare with knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you are an heir of God, you are a joint heir with Christ. You talk about rich. Everything he stands to inherit, you inherit. What a blessing that is. And that's what he's talking about. But here he, he's suffering. He's going through all of this in order that it might help them, bring them comfort. He's not asking them to do anything that he's not willing to do. He wants to bring them comfort. And that their hearts would be knit together in love. I just, I just love the imagery of that. If that local congregation, man, they are just loving one another. They are supporting one another. They're praying for one another. They're ministering to one another. They understand what they're up against. They understand just how cruel and mean and evil, wicked and dark the world is. But they're, they're supporting one another, they are loving one another, and they are looking for the return of the one that they have trusted as their Savior. And their hearts are just knit together in love. See, this, Paul's in prison. He's in a Roman jail as he's writing these letters to the church in, in, in Ephesus, to the church in Colossae, and to the church in Philippi. One of the things he tells the church in Philippi in how to operate, I think is, is a lesson that every church had better understand, had better realize. And in, look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verse, verse 3, talking about having the mind of Christ. You know, every, every pastor grieves at conflict that's in a church. Uh, churches that have split, that, that just should never happen. That, to me, that is that's just the work of Satan. I don't care which side says they're right and the other side which says they're wrong. It, it just should never happen. And it wouldn't happen if every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ would apply this scripture. Verse, th uh, verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. As the members of the body of Christ, if each one is esteeming the other one better than themselves, if each person is thinking that I, I want to do what's in your best interest, I want to see you, you mature in Christ, I want to see you blessed, that's, that's what he's saying here. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but let in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things or his own interest, but every man also on the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. See, that's, that's the spirit that, that, that God wants the local congregation to have. That's, that's how you know the Holy Spirit is moving and working, that, that they're loving one another. Matter of fact, what did Christ tell the disciples? 
How were people going to know that you are my disciples? How did, what did Christ say to them? By the love you, you have for one another. You're exactly right. Not the fact that they were going to be able to move mountains if they had the faith of a grain of mustard seed. That, not that, that with all the other promises that the, apost- the apostles had and the apostolic authority that they were going to have and will have during the kingdom. That, that's not how people are going to know that you're my disciples. Not because they had the power to, to heal the sick. They had that. Cast out demons. Hey, that's pretty powerful. But that's not how men are going to know that you're my disciples. Because of the love you have one for another. And I'm telling you something, folks. That's a dispensational truth even for this dispensation. You want people to know that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you demonstrate it by the love you have one for another. That each person puts the interest of the other member of the body of Christ ahead of their own, where they just love one another. That attitude is just an overwhelming attitude where we just hug one another. You hug one another. You appreciate one another. And you pray for one another. I am so glad this is a praying church. I'm glad it's a hugging church. I'm glad that this is a church that expresses their love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for one another, and you're not ashamed to do it because that tells me that your heart is knit together in love to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Paul was wanting these people in Colossae to understand the mystery to understand that glorious truth of what God was doing, that glorious truth that was hidden in God from before the foundation of the world, what his plan and purpose was to redeem fallen man through the work of the cross. Oh, the, He wanted them to understand that full assurance, that have understanding of that mystery that was in God. Verse 3 is an interesting verse. I mean, they all are, but... I, talking about that mystery of God which is Christ and what Christ accomplished verse 3 in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ in that glorious truth of who he is and what God is doing through the death, burial, and resurrection of His only begotten Son and that offer of salvation by grace. All that 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 involves, all that that entails, in that is hid all the wisdom and knowledge, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Basically, What he's saying there is that what God's Word says is true. It's true. I'm going to tell you something. There will never, ever be a medical or a scientific discovery that will be contrary to the truth of God. Never. There will never be an archaeological discovery that proves the Bible to be wrong. You can rest assured that there'll never... Now, there may... Fallen man may come up with theories and ideas to kind of thwart the plan and purpose and the Word of God, but they're all fake. They're all phony. They're not accurate. They're not true. But you will, there will never be a scientific discovery or an archaeological discovery that will prove the Bible wrong. Because it's not. The world may try to present it in such a fashion. Because in Christ are hid all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why in our seminary, uh, in our, our teaching, is that 
we've come to the point that we emphasize what's called presuppositional apologetics. Presuppositional apologetics. What that means is when you're defending your faith, when you are, you, when you are debating the existence of God, you just start from the premise He is and that it's true. See, you never start from the premise of saying, okay, well, I've got to prove that there's a God to you. God didn't do that Himself. In the beginning, God. You just, you suppose, and I propose, that God's Word is true. So you start from that point. You just presuppose that it's accurate, and you don't have to argue for the existence of God. God exists. God doesn't explain Himself. He reveals Himself. But presuppositional apologetics is you just start from the truth that you're right and they're wrong. And you know what? You're right. You're right, they're wrong. You say, but I can't explain it. Okay, but still doesn't mean you're wrong. Never apologize for believing that this is the Word of God. Never apologize for your faith in Christ, the true and living God. Because they may, they may scoff, the world may ridicule, the, may, the world may try to present all sorts of, of devious claims, and they may, they may try to deceive you with, with, with words that, that you can't quite understand. But instead of getting upset, grieve for them because they're lost and they just don't understand just smile graciously and tell them but I know whom I've believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day I believe you're right they're wrong in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul was letting the church in Colossae, I mean in Corinth, to know this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We, you need to understand this. You, we need to know this. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Those that perish are going to think the message that you share is foolishness. Number one, they're going to be offended because you're telling them they're a sinner. Well, they are. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. See, you that's, that's part of the presuppositional apologetics. You just start out with the, the idea, with the thought that the scriptures are true and those that perish, the, the message, the gospel that you're going to share, it's foolishness. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, and it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Hallelujah, what I do is foolishness. I admit it because that's what God's word tells me it is. And the world may ridicule, the world may say this, preachers, but I'm telling you what, to me it's the highest calling in the land is to stand and preach God's word. God chose the preaching to confound the wise. Oh, back to 1 Corinthians. I was going to read one more part of that. 1 Corinthians 1, again. Look at verse 30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God was made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is just wise to be a Christian. It is just wise by faith 
to trust in God, to believe Him. Now, verse four, back to Colossians 2. Verse 4 is actually connected to verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, the reason he just said that, the reason that he told them that in Christ are hid all the wisdom and knowledge, and I say this, lest any man should beguile you or deceive you with enticing words. See, that's, that's another way of saying, you're right, they're wrong. So you just know that in Christ is hid all the wisdom and knowledge of God. You just know that. And then there, when people come along and go, oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, you're wrong. Why, you need to the world you need to you, you need to be tolerant you need to go against what God's word says don't you believe it and this I say lest any man should beguile you with enticing words for though I be absent in the flesh yet I am with you in the spirit joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ oh that that could be said about St. Louis Bible Fellowship. That's the desire. That if, that if we were to receive a letter from someone, that that letter would say, oh, I, I looked at the way you guys worship. I looked at your steadfastness. I looked at how you serve Christ. And I was so moved. I was so, uh, it was just an honor to be there and worshiping with people who love the Lord Jesus so much and who love one another, who love His Word, who desire to share the gospel and take seriously their calling. I think I've shared this with you in the past. I, I really enjoy it. This is a true story. This, this happened. And I know I've shared it with some of you. I really enjoy it when I hear back from people who came and visited our church and they'll tell you that we're not coming back because the people there were just too friendly. I, I have had people tell me that. <laughs> well, we'll see if I can do something about that. Not. The reason they didn't come back was because these people were too friendly. There was just a glow. There was something different about you all. Well, don't you certainly hope so? Don't you certainly hope so? Verse 6. As you, or as ye, Say, so you would be singular, ye, and king, ye means all of you, okay? That's why that, that ye is. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you've received the Lord, so walk in him. So how did you receive the Lord? By faith. By faith. As you, just as you receive the Lord, this is how it is pleasing to God that you walk in Him by faith, trusting Him. Again, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what type of conflict is going to arise. We, I have no idea what the next virus is going to be. I don't know what an evil world is going to concoct in order to, to placate the God of this world. I don't know. I know something's going to come. That's just the way Satan operates. Amen? I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who does. And I rest safely and confidently and faithfully in Him. Trusting all of my tomorrows in Him. But, you know, see, I trust my past to Him that the sins are forgiven. I, I trust my past to him, I trust the present to him, and I certainly trust the future to him. That's what it's all about, walking by faith. 
And that's as you have received Christ, you received him by faith, you are to walk in faith. And I've told you before, there at Bot Radio, you know what they call this church? The St. Louis. That's what they call us, the biggest little church in St. Louis. I like that. They'll say there is nothing that church won't attempt to do for the cause of Christ. That's the reputation you want to have, folks. That if we feel like that God is leading us to do it, we're going to do it. We may not be able to accomplish it, but let me tell you something. With God, all things are possible. Amen? And we believe Him. We trust Him. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Look at Ephesians 5.8. Remember that... They were to share, church in Colossae was to share the, the letter with the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were sometimes darkness. See, and there's no preposition there. For you were sometimes not in darkness, but you were darkness. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. That's an imperative. Walk as children of light. That's what God expects of us, to walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Bring to conviction, literally is what that means. Look at Ephesians 4, 17. 4, 17. Ephesians 4, 17. Probably should have read this one first, but Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the, in, in the church in Ephesus, that is where the temple of Diana was. When I say it was right down the street, well, Ephesus and Colossae weren't that far apart. And where the temple of Diana was located was in Ephesus. And so Paul is telling them, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the v- uh, vanity of your mind, I mean, in the folly, in the emptiness of your mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus." You put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. How you have received Christ, that's how God's Word tells you that you are to walk in Him, not as the other Gentiles walk. Verse 7 goes on and explains, and back to Colossians 2, verse 7 explains the expectations of the believer. Colossians chapter 7. You're, as you receive Christ, that's how you walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and, and, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Rooted, built up in Him. Now, how do you get rooted in Christ? Folks, there's only one way. There's only one way that you can be rooted, according to the Scripture, and that kind of, Paul goes into that in Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. If you want to be rooted in what God expects and rooted in Christ and the understanding, you want to be established in the faith, there's only one way to do it, and that's to know God's Word. To know God's Word. I am astounded, literally astounded, at the number of believers who neglect 
the study of God's word. I, I, I don't understand that. Christ has saved you, made you a new creation, yet you neglect God's word in your daily lives? I, I have never understood how we can neglect that that feeds us, that causes us to grow and understand who we are in Christ. Maybe that's the problem there. So many anemic Christians is because they don't feed on the right stuff. Anyway, that's a whole different sermon. Look at Colossians 3.16. You want to be rooted and built up in Him? Well, Paul tells him in 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's that word again. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's the way you get rooted and built up in Christ. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul is uh, on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to be arrested there. Uh, as a matter of fact, the group of people that he's talking to here are, are the, the elders from Ephesus. And God's Word tells us they love him so much that when he tells them um, that they, they will not see him anymore, they just break down and cry and hug on him, and, and they, it just breaks their hearts. But in, Ex, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he tells them, And now, brethren, that's the group there in Ephesus, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. It is the word of God that builds you up. You want to be built up? You want to be strong in the Lord and the power of His mind? You've got to know God's word. As a matter of fact, it, it, to the church in Ephesus, what did he tell them they needed to do? They needed to put on the whole armor of God. They needed to put on the whole armor of God. And all of it concerns the Word of God, especially the weapon, the, the sword of the Spirit, has to do with the Word of God. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. If you know of another way to grow in Christ, if you know of another way to become that mature believer in Christ other than through God's Word, I, I wish you'd share it with me. Share it with me. If, if there's another way, if I'm wrong, share that with me. But you know what? I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. We can't neglect God's Word. If you desire to be rooted in Christ... You got to look to God's word. You can't neglect it. Verse 8 tells you what happens to a believer when they neglect God's word. There's a reason that he goes into this after he talks about as you receive Christ, walk in him and be rooted. Verse 8 beware lest any man spoil you. The word spoil there means to rob or plunder. Be aware, lest any man plunder you through philosophy. And it's talking about the world's philosophy and vain deceit or vain deception. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The rudiments of the world has to do with principles that the world puts forth as being standards of righteousness even, of goodness. There are a lot of good people out there that are genuinely good people according to the world's standards. They, you can even live next to them as neighbors. They're not going to rob from you. They're not going to steal. They're not going to tear down your fences. They're not going to shoot your dog. They're not going to do anything like that. They're just genuinely good people. But there is a philosophy that they're okay, you're okay, when the truth of the matter is 
You're not. Or they're not. They're not. Because they don't have Christ. And the world's philosophy will say, oh, everything is just fine. You're, you're okay. You're, you're living a good life. But if you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, if by faith you haven't been made that child of God, that new creation, you, they might even be, are you ready for this? They might even be a better person than you are, according to the world standards. They might be nicer. They might be better than their mama or their kinfolk. They're, they might be better people. And the world has them blinded to the truth that they need Jesus. They need the Savior. Beware, lest any man rob you through philosophy, that's the world's philosophy, and vain deception after the tradition of men. See, Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof way of destruction. There's a, there's a way that seems right unto man. Yep. There's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are ways of death. That didn't sum up the world's philosophy. Don't let the world rob you of the truth of God's word and who you are in Christ. And you don't do it in a braggadocious. You don't do it in a, hey, I've, I've got Jesus and you don't. And you can't have him. See, that's kind of what got Israel into trouble. That, you know, it's, there should never be a haughty spirit connected to any believer. There needs to be that attitude of humbleness and graciousness. As we tell a lost and dying world, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Only He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. And you know why? Verse 9. For in Him, talking about Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You want to know God the Father, you've got to know God the Son. You want to know the Holy Spirit, you've got to know the Son. That in Him, that was God the Father's plan and purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ. That in Him, He, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the one that reveals all to us. It is through Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, all of you, you're complete in Him. You are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. We're going to take back up the next time we're looking at Colossians because we need to expound on that verse. You are complete in Him. means if you have Christ... There's nothing lacking. There's nothing you can add to make God love you more if you're in Christ. Because He loves you with a perfect love. His, you can't do anything to make God more gracious towards you. His love is perfect. His grace is perfect that He extends to you. You are complete in Him. There's nothing you can do to satisfy God's righteous requirement. Walking down an aisle doesn't do it. Water baptism doesn't do it. Going through any kind of ritual exercise doesn't do it. You're complete in Christ. You would think that that would be over, cause believers to be overjoyed. What I've never understood is why redeemed people think they have to add anything to complete in Christ. If something is complete, does it need anything added to it? No. And you are complete in Christ. You identify with Christ. You identify with his circumcision. You identify with his baptism. You identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. You're seated in, with him in the heavenlies right now. Everything that Christ has experienced, 
you've experienced by virtue of you are part of the body of Christ. What an offer of salvation that we have in him. And as you've received him, and I pray this morning you have, I pray this morning that by faith you have received Christ. By faith you've understood that he died for you. He was buried for you. He rose again for you. By faith you believe that God the Father raised up God the Son. That it's not a fairy tale, but it's an integral part of acknowledging who God is. And by faith you believe it. And when you do that, God's Word says you're complete in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how absolutely thankful we are that we stand complete in Christ. Father, we come acknowledging that it's not our own goodness, it's not our own righteousness. Father, your Word tells us that we don't have any, that our righteousness is a filthy rags. Father, we fall far short, so far short of your holiness, of your righteousness. But Father, this morning, how thankful we are that by faith we believe that Christ took our sins upon Calvary's cross, that our sin was imputed, our transgressions were imputed to him. And Father, his righteousness was imputed to us. Uh, Father, that salvation causes us to stand in amazement of your love and of your grace. And Father, we praise you for it. So Father, I pray this morning that every person here by faith has trusted you as Savior. And Father, if they haven't, may they understand in the quietness of this moment as the Holy Spirit moves in the hearts of each and every one of us. Father, convict them of their need for you. And Father, for those who know you, Father, convict us of the urgency of sharing the gospel, of letting people know that Christ Jesus is the answer. Father, we come acknowledging that this world is in chaos. But Father, your word told us what to expect. There were going to be perilous times. Father, give us boldness to preach. Give us the courage to stand. Father, never ever back down from the truth of standing what your word, standing for what your word says. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious, holy name.